This is Living Catholic with Father Don Wolf. Living Catholic is a fresh look at issues confronting each of us today. This show deals with living out the Catholic faith, what that means for Catholics, as well as the impact on the rest of society. You certainly don't have to be Catholic to enjoy this show. And now, your host, Father Don Wolf. Welcome, Oklahoma, to Living Catholic. I'm Father Don Wolf, pastor of Sacred Heart Parish and rector of the Shrine of Blessed Stanley Rother. Now that we're on the Lee side of our first celebration of the Feast of Blessed Stanley Rother at the Shrine, I thought it important to share some reflections on these days we've just passed through. This was the 42nd anniversary of his death. We've had more than four decades to strive to encounter and understand the meaning, the meaning inherent in his martyrdom. And I've had many opportunities to focus on his witness to the whole church since his death in his rectory in Santiago Atitlan in Guatemala in the early morning hours of July the 28th, 1981. Many of these anniversaries I've had the chance to celebrate in Guatemala. This is the first, of course, the opportunity to celebrate now at the shrine. It's only the beginning of what will be a long series of celebrations there. So what do we celebrate? What is our celebration about? And most importantly, what does the life and death of a man born in Okarchi, Oklahoma in 1935, who was martyred in 1981 and beatified in 2017, offer to us now? For those of us who are not missionaries, who do not live under the threat of military occupation, who are not threatened with imminent death, who are not coerced by our circumstances to be suspicious of our neighbors, who are not tasked with leading our people through the thickets and minefields of an insurgency and a revolution, what are we to learn from this hero of ours today? The first thing, of course, is his witness to us. The word martyr is simply the Greek word for witness. Wholly apart from dying for the faith, Father, Ro Father Rother's witness of faith to us is powerful and important. Those who have been killed for their witness of faithfulness are particularly important to us because there is no one more serious than the person willing to give his or her life in the way he or she lives the faith. And Blessed Stanley Rother was a witness to the life of faith. But this witness was vastly greater than the moment of his death. It was the content of his life. When Stan was born in Okarchi, he entered into a family life interwoven with the life of faith and the activity of the parish there. His family was made up of committed Catholics whose lives were defined by their commitment to and participation in Holy Trinity Catholic Church. This may seem somewhat extreme to those who might look in from the outside, but at his time and in this place, it was simply the way their world worked. Their life on the farm was defined by the life of the church, and no one really distinguished the two elements. It was a combination we find almost impossible to imagine in our time where life and work and family and faith were all combined in one complete, solid whole with no space between one and the other. Harvest and prayer, the garden and the rosary, milking and first communion were all part of the same common understanding about how to live life. So in Blessed Stanley's life, this sense of living carried over into his decision-making. When he announced his decision to enter the seminary in order to become a priest, he was orienting his life to the service of God and to the future of the church, not just opting for a career in this one place rather than another. That's always true of priests everywhere, but in our day and time, we often don't see the radical content of a young man, that the young man makes when he opts to move in that direction. He chose, Stanley, to move the entirety of his life toward the life of the church as a priest. No one enters the priesthood 
as an accident. It requires much preparation and deliberation. In fact, there's an almost exaggerated sense in which everyone is encouraged to discern and think long and hard about what he wants to do before he can make any decision about giving himself to the priestly life. The young man has to want this life just about more than anything else, or else he can't do it. I often joke about this with couples who are preparing to get married. Oftentimes, they chafe against our insistence they do a couple of months of meetings and a small program of preparation, just so that we know they're making a good decision. I tell them, a priest has to go to school full-time for a minimum of six years before anybody will let him make a positive decision to get ordained. Most people go to the seminary a lot longer than that, and also that the young man and everyone in the church knows this is what he's willing and able to do. And you all have a hard time with six weeks of preparation. So the first measure of witness in Father Rothler's life was his yes to the life of priesthood that he offered to the Lord. When this invitation presented itself in his life, he was ready with his response. As we all know, Stan was not an especially good student. He struggled with his studies and encountered a lot of disappointment in his efforts. The truth of the matter, which seems to sneak in between the lines of the letters he sent home, was that he just wasn't very good at studying. He put things off. He really didn't find the studies very interesting. He would cram for his tests at the end of the semester and all the other things many of us could confess to as well. In the end, he just couldn't pull it off. What he did, in fact, was what most of us do. He spent his time doing what he was good at, and he avoided doing what he wasn't good at. It was a challenge for him to complete his studies and to put himself in a position to get ordained. His witness in the midst of all this challenge was his perseverance and his persistence. He was willing to hang in with his studies, even though he was an indifferent student with bad habits and a preference for everything non-studious. Serving the Lord in the midst of weakness is the height of witness to dedication. In fact, it's much more a sacrifice than the one for whom service is easy and commitment obvious. Stan's staying with his calling in, to, in preparation for the priesthood is a witness to the depth of his call and his trust in God's goodness in his life. We should never forget that the priesthood is for those who are called, and sometimes this is despite their abilities and their circumstances. Of course, the great irony of his choices is all the more obvious since he ended up as a missionary in a land in which he had to learn two new languages just to, make, just to get through the day and to make his way to the end of the street. And he did so as his response to the straightforward challenge of becoming the pastor and living his life there. He was part of his seamless performance of God's will in Guatemala. Our witness to the Lord is not simply the portrait painted by the perfect brushstrokes of success and acclaim. It's our witness to the truth of God at work in life, which is always amid the rubble of a life under construction. Not just when every project is completed and the detritus of building is picked up and stowed away. Another aspect of, Stan, of Blessed Stanley's witness is his willingness to embrace the celibate aspect of his vocation. This was also the normal part of the priestly witness for everybody, so we mostly don't notice it and we don't take account of it when we think of his life. All the young men who go to the seminary and who stay in preparation for their ordination to the priesthood are asked to make a commitment to celibate living for the rest of their lives. So Stan wasn't unusual in this, but when he made this commitment, it was a sacrifice all the same, and it was a witness to his response to God's invitation. He said yes to surrendering the promise of a spouse and a family as he said yes to God's direction to the priesthood. 
Most of us don't really think about this aspect of priestly life too often. In fact, it's most often noticed and commented on about seminarians, since they're the young men preparing for the priestly life of the same age as those who are preparing themselves for marriage. But once the commitment is made and the man lives as a priest for 10 years or so, we honestly stop thinking about it much at all. A celibate priest focused on his vocation, his parish, and his service, that's what we expect. The outlines of his commitment simply fade amid the color and brushstrokes bus, the color and brushstrokes of his life. Just as we want, the commitment he makes becomes him. But Stan's commitment was real and purposeful, and it cost him the family life so important to him and to his upbringing. I don't know of any anxiety or hand-wringing on Stan's part with him longing for the support of a spouse or the prospects of children. And in his years, it was most often the case he did not, cons- he did not feel concern about these things. Anxiety about the ability of a person to live out the commitments he or she has made seems more common in our time than in their time. Several years ago, I was speaking with Archbishop Coakley about the priesthood, and he mentioned to me that he had several great uncles who were missionary priests. One went to Florida to minister among the alligators in swamps when those were the usual characteristics of life there before condos and beach high-rises. The other went among the jungles of eastern Nicaragua to minister to the indigenous peoples of that area. And both of them carried on with their difficult work for decades in challenging circumstances with scarcely a hint there might be some question or challenge to the life they'd chosen. From our perspective today, in which everyone questions and worries about everything, they seem almost unbelievably at peace with the difficulties of their days. It seems as if the rolling storm waves of the sea never touched them. It's probably not true, but it is easy to believe they just didn't have to worry about the things we worry about, or were challenged in the ways we're challenged, in this age of ours in which everything's up for grabs in every circumstance. And we can be seduced into believing their commitments were as nothing, since they faced no real challenge in their place and time. But that's not really true. Choosing the path of celibate living is always a sacrifice, and it was so in the life of Blessed Stanley Rother, as much as among any young man or woman at any time in the life of the church. The power of attraction and the movement of emotions, the longing for children and the support of a spouse, the certainty of place and the location of family, all of these are always present and always competing with the invitation to link all of life in the Lord to the Lord's promise in celibacy. And when Stan said yes at his ordination to these promises, he was witnessing to his confidence in God's power to accompany him in all things throughout his life and his willingness to trust in this accompaniment in everything. The fact that it was ordinary didn't make it meager or scant. His yes on the day of his ordination was as much a part of his witness to the power of God at work in his life and among the currents of his world as was his decision to return to this parish or his insistence on serving his people amid war and turmoil. Stan was a martyr, a witness to the power of God when his yes produced in him the priestly life he was called to. One other aspect of the celibate life that we don't always focus on is the willingness to cast one's future onto the accompaniment of God throughout all of life. We don't focus on it much because, again, it's simply the situation we find when we consider what's normal in the priesthood and the religious life. Because we see priests and sisters and acknowledge the contours of their lives, we don't really think all that much about the decisions they've made. 
But Blessed Stanley's witness includes his willingness to kneel before his bishop on the day of his ordination and pledge his life to the service of God and the church for the sake of the kingdom. In this service, he's not promised any of the consolations of life, no spouse, no children, no advancements or celebration, no partner or support other than what may lie in God's plans for the future. This was Stan's witness to the power of God at work in his life. Of course, nobody has a promise of such things. No life is guaranteed any of these things, no matter what vocation a person responds to. Even a marriage is no guarantee of partnership or family life or any of those things we normally presume of it. But in the celibate witness of the priesthood, the one to be ordained promises to link his life to the kingdom of God unfolding in the world and to serve that kingdom rather than to look after his own concerns. Most of the time, we presume our experience of life to be something like what? Like a, a, a big gulp that is something that is that has purpose only in what's bigger and more rather than what's purposeful and revelatory. There's not much appreciation of those who would surrender in order to achieve or who would forego so as to find. Father Stan's witness to the pathway of sacrifice for the sake of having the kingdom of God be first in his life with nothing in between is a witness to his trust in the goodness of God. It was this goodness that invited him to Guatemala that kept him there amidst the disappointments and difficulties he found and that led him to the moment when his life reached its apex there. It's a witness we're all beginning to understand now. Priestly celibacy is hardly something groundbreaking. It's exacted from all of those who would respond to God's call to the priestly life in our day. It's an aspect of Stan's life we should understand and appreciate for what it is, part of the witness that makes his sanctity an example for us all. It might just be the case that we are called to witness to the kingdom as well. Stan's life is a window into this life and into God's kingdom. I'd also like all of us to consider one other aspect of his witness as well. It was the standard missionary challenge of living and ministering in another language. It's ironic, as we've said, that Stan had such difficulty learning Latin and then went on to become trilingual in his parish, speaking the Tsutuhil language of his village, as well as the Spanish of the surrounding countryside. In truth, I think we can make too much of this contrast. So much of learning Latin in the seminary, at least as it was taught in the formation process of his time, made it made Latin more of an obstacle to be surmounted rather than a tool of communication and wonder to, that could be acquired. Many of the priests I knew, some of them who were the smartest people I've ever met, they struggled with learning Latin their whole time in the seminary and were never very good at it. Even the ones who were competent in the language always seemed to approach it as if a Latin phrase was an algebraic equation to be deciphered and manipulated rather than a breath of communicative wisdom to be encountered. Stan simply had a hard time learning the sum of knowledge, partly because of the way it was taught and partly because he was a bad student of it. But when he went to Guatemala and dove into the prospect of communicating with his people, the valence of his interests and capacities changed. He wasn't investing his energies in reading a formula. He was, as he was learning the languages there, opening up to a world of communication. I'm not at all surprised at his capacity to invest himself and to become good at being one with his people by learning their languages. This is one of the challenges and one of the blessings of missionaries everywhere. He was able to pour himself into this part of his life there and was blessed by it. 
I'm not sure how capable he was in speaking the Mayan language of the village there called Sutujil. The people I've spoken to there about him tell me that he spoke it well, better than any of the other Anglos who tried to learn it. Of course, they could have just been trying to be kind to me rather than telling me what they actually thought or what they had actually experienced. Or they could have massaged their memories enough to really believe he did speak it well since so many years have passed since he was there. Who can say? Martin Prechtel, an American who went to Guatemala a little while after Stan did and who wrote a whole series of books about Indian life in Santiago, he says that Stan's grasp of the language wasn't so great. Of course, Martin is extremely hostile to other Americans and to anyone who doesn't share his point of view about native religion, so I wouldn't consider him the last word when it comes to Stan's capacities, not to mention the fact that he himself was not native, and I have no notion of his capacities when it comes to speaking the language either. Just because you write books and get published doesn't make your claim for knowledge bulletproof. But it really doesn't matter. The witness that counts is that Stan was willing to submit himself to the challenge of living amidst the changes and the difficulties of that place. When you're living and working in a language not your own, you always face the difficulties of being on the outside, as well as never being able to be perfectly natural or perfectly at home. At least it is so in that other language for a long time. Eventually, you do become accustomed to your adopted tongue and it fits you. But getting there where you feel comfortable with it, takes a long time. The willingness to live in the between time is a true act of sacrifice and trust. And as one of the faculty at the seminary in Solola said to us Americans who visited Santiago on the second anniversary of Blessed Stanley's death in 1983, he said, of all of the languages Stan could have invested himself in, he chose to give himself to learning a language spoken among only two villages along that one lake in Guatemala. And that was the only place in the world those languages are spoken. Given his capacities and abilities, he could have learned French or German or Russian and would have made a connection with hundreds of millions of people. Instead, he invested his time and energy to become at home with the dusty streets and crippling poverty of those tiny places and the people who live there. His abilities were invested and then returned to him because of his love for the people he served. His witness was one of displacement and of service, which is the missionary calling. What is natural and normal for you has to be replaced with what's necessary and needful for the people you serve. You have to conform your life around those other people for the sake of the gospel. And remember, as a missionary, you're interacting with people in the most difficult and extreme moments of their lives. When you're stumbling along with the words and, con and conjugations and expressions of people, you aren't just talking to them about where they live or what their customs are. You're present to them to talk about falling sick and dying, about terror and politics, about the purposes of life and uh, the meaninglessness and difficulties of failure. Learning a language as a missionary means there are no chances to just kick around at idle conversation or simple greetings. It only takes a little while as a pastor, and everyone wants to talk to you about everything, especially about the deepest meanings of their lives. There is no escape if you want to be present to your people and be a part of their lives. This is the witness of Stanley. He gave his comfort away in order to be present to his people. When he ended up at the mission by himself, he wasn't able to go home, close the door, and then be himself as if he were back at home, 
talking with his friends and family in the easy and normal language of his house. He was always one step removed, dealing with the purposes and meanings of his life through the thick veil of the sounds and pronunciations of Tsutuhil in Spanish. Of course, this is what millions feel as they are challenged to learn the new languages of the places they occupy. This is the prospect of whole neighborhoods and entire parishes full of people here in Oklahoma City. But Stan's witness is one of hope. He chose this missionary work as his life. It was his pathway to serve the church and to be a servant of God. It's a witness to all of us. Stan's life is an inspiration to all of us who are invited to encounter Christ. This week of celebration that we have just passed of the witness of Blessed Stanley Rother is ultimately the recognition that the life Stan lived was a window onto the presence of Christ in the world and the invitation to Christ opened for us. Our shrine, after all, has one purpose as it reminds us all of Stan's service and his years as a priest and a missionary. And that purpose is that we might encounter the mercy of God and the promise of new life in Christ. If we remember Stan's witness, this is where it leads us, on to Christ. Back in just a moment. segment, Faith in Verse, we have a poem today called, Does God Hide? Does God hide his being, his face from us, on purpose, keeps the divine obscure and dark, prompts troubled lives of doubt and fuss, as generations come and go missing the mark, and live benighted, ignorant of all possible hope, as they thrash and squabble amid little days, forgetting the promise of life, its range and scope, missing its rich carvings and jeweled inlays? Or does God reveal to the fullest all necessary, every truth uncovered so as to be seen, excuses for no one, or at best only rarely, and as insubstantial as the weight of a light beam? Whatever God's plans, we mere mortals wait to see divine glory all face to face, and all before such prospect becomes too late, before we run the furlong, and finish the race. That's Does God Hide?
everyone had uh, an opportunity over this last week to at least acknowledge the uh, the anniversary of the death of uh, Blessed Stanley Rother. In the years to come, of course, our celebrations at the shrine will become more integrally woven into the life of the church here in Oklahoma. But even now, as we begin slowly, it's the opportunity for us to celebrate, but most especially to appreciate the sacrifice of Father Rother and his witness in our lives. I hope that you can continue to to join us in the weeks to come. Living Catholic is a production of Oklahoma Catholic Radio. To learn more, visit okcr.org.